I think you're right. And that's what that kind of goes back to the phone thing where I think there has to be a point where it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on outside of extenuating circumstances, but it doesn't matter what's going on Monday through Wednesday. This is when I'm writing or working on music, whatever I decide. And I think, that, and Hey, this is going on. You want to come, you have to say no. And this is, this goes to the book, the war on art. It talks about this thing called resistance. And I loved that metaphor or just how he decided to describe what that feeling is, is where there's a million things pulling you in all these different directions, whatever they are. And it's all of those things are what they represent is just keeping you from doing what you should be doing. Whenever you set your heart on something or your mind on something, and it's not an easy thing, it's like a task that's going to take an extended amount of effort, right? There's everything that's going to get in your way. So for example, I'm going to write today. All of a sudden you get a fucking text. Hey, there's a party. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Or okay, let's go see this movie. Or your friend comes in to visit or something like being here. And then you're like, ah, oh, shit. And that's what that is. It's that resistance. And you have to figure out how to traverse that. And that's one thing that I'm trying to work my mind to get around. And I think it's almost being selfishly dedicated to your craft and to yourself at the end of the day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. On today's episode, I'm joined by my good friends, Joe Jakowski and Jordan Chris. On this particular episode, I wanted to talk to them about the act of being creative. And it was supposed to be a broad discussion about, honestly, what I've been working through here on the podcast. Most specifically, one of the aspects I haven't really covered because I let it go but the fact that I didn't post anything on the podcasting front for almost a month, partly that is motivation on my part, and it's also, to be completely honest, not being completely prepared. It's not an excuse by any means, because if you really care about something, you make the time to do it, and you put in the effort to continue doing it. But in any case, these things will ebb and flow with time, and I completely understand that. But I did want to have a conversation with my two friends who in many ways share the same creative leanings and yearnings as I do. We had a really great conversation about how individuals create, why they create, and also embedding creativity into something bigger than yourself is seemingly a better way to be sustained or fueled by the things that you're driven to put into the world. It's not a specific format by any means. For me, it happens to be podcasts. This one I wanted to talk about when the spark or the fire seems to dwindle a little bit. And so with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Joe Joukowsky and Jordan Chris. Boom. There we go. (laughs) Back on the podcast. Honestly, this is like the first time I think we've all done this online thing together. Yeah, I can't think of any time. We've done maybe one other one, but I don't think we've done one where it's all three of us together at the same time. So this is pretty, pretty cool to be able to do that, especially considering we're spread across the country at this point. But the reason I wanted to talk is that for those who are probably most often coming to the podcast, I had a kind of a month-ish hiatus of really not posting anything, which was partly driven by work needs and just demands, and also partly because I was in a lull of creative energy, just not feeling, wanting to really edit anything. And so, Jordan, you recently came back to Chicago, and we had this conversation where I believe you read the book War on Art by Stephen Pressfield on the plane, and that kind of 
kickstarted a thought I had about just the the act of doing anything creative and it doesn't have to be in like podcasting but it could be screenwriting even reading or listening to podcasts and how you just almost have to turn into a job where it's not you're always going to be inspired to create but you just have to make the conditions to be creative and just push yourself to do it it's almost like analogous to being in the gym where you sometimes don't feel like you want to go to the gym but then as soon as you get there you're like oh yeah I'm glad I came this has actually turned into a decent workout and I know both of you have different perspectives on this but I, I thought it would be a fun conversation to have because I don't think it's unique in the sense to go through these peaks and troughs of feeling in it I guess I'll, I'll jump in Joe you can go after but yeah that's definitely normal I think every artist or creative in any medium is going to feel that uh, your peaks of inspiration and you just, it feels like everything's just flowing. You get all this stuff done. And then we have other moments where it's for me personally, you sit down to write and it's him. I swear last week I can go through a page, 10 pages and then like less than an hour and today it's, I can't do a paragraph. <laughs> you're just sitting here looking at the screen. But I think with that, I think you're exactly right. How you said you have to treat it like a job. And I think that's where people's goals comes in. It depends what you want to get out of this. If you're, if it's just a hobby for you, say you just like, playing guitar but you have no aspiration tour across the world then you can just do it when you're inspired when you have that feeling like i want to mess around with this but to make it a job you have to treat it like that because that's the only way you'll get results so it's not about when you're inspired it's just it's work it's literally doing the work and making sure you still have you don't want to make it so much work that you don't enjoy it anymore because then you burn yourself out that way. So it's like finding that balance. I'll give it to you, Joe. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that's taking that approach in some sense where you're stepping forward and taking it on as the discipline or responsibility that you need to do definitely seems to me to be the better alternative to waiting for random bouts of inspiration. Maybe right? to some degree, you could just be tired every day and never find yourself inspired. And how often do you feel inspired to write or do any creative work but anyway? But if you're waiting for that all the time, then you just end up have, never doing anything. You just, you, just, you just wait for fucking ever and you never get anywhere. And what I found whenever I'm my creative work is writing almost entirely, though, mostly it's nonfiction writing which is a different animal, but if you want it to flow well and to sound nice and there's a creativity to it, but I wouldn't say it's the same thing as uh, painting or, or these things. But anyway, what I found is that editing for writing is easier to get into. And sometimes if I'm not feeling quite up to really putting in the work, I can go back and I can make sure that this thing is coherent. And sometimes that will get me to the place where I'm ready to write creatively. It's okay. And now we've got the, the momentum going and now we can start picking it up and running with it. But even more than what I found is that if I want to be creative, then I need to sit myself in this little box of an office. I need to leave my phone in another room and I need to force myself to be remarkably bored and sit there and just, I hate this, for 30 minutes, and suddenly, when the little flickering part of your brain that's thinking about all the things you should do, and all these excuses for why you can't do this right now, and, oh, is the stove on, and all these things, <laughs> finally shut up, then the creativity presses through this boundary of boredom. And it's like, ah, now that I've made myself 
sit down and do this and remove these distractions from this moment, then this creativity can come out. It's I, I suspect that they're, they're different parts of the brain and that the sort of rational flickering ego that needs to go around and fix all these little problems actually inhibits the part of the brain that is generating fantasies and simulations of the world and all these cool and creative things. It's only once you've either satiated that uh, nagging voice that is <laughs> your own voice in your head or just denied it any fuel, can you arrive at a place where it disinhibits and it allows for this work to flow forward? It reminds me of all those classic writers who go in the woods and lock themselves into a cabin to go write their book. There might be something something going on there. It's not just that they're crazy and need to go lock themselves away from society, but... Yeah. Tennessee Williams, who was, he wrote, he's a playwright. He wrote The Glass Menagerie and I think it was Streetcar Named Desire, said, mm. luxury is the wolf at the door. And I love that. I was like, yeah, if your life's a little too easy, you don't got much to talk about. <laughs> so he would do that. He would go and he would shut himself into a cabin in the woods and just figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. And for writers, I think a lot of times to get in that zone, you almost have to be by yourself, right? As a musician, you can have a lot of movement. Sometimes that's what people need. They need, they almost need distractions in a sense to get focused. I'm not like that when I do music. I'm the same way I am doing music as I am when I'm writing. I want everything quiet, typically dark, just so I can be trapped and focused in whatever is in front of me. But it is interesting because it, it makes sense why you'd want to go and isolate yourself completely because maybe back then it wasn't as hard, but these, I'm holding up my phone, but <laughs> these things right here, are the absolute worst fucking things when it comes to creativity that I can. It's just so easy. Like I'll catch myself and I'll be getting a flow and then my phone lights up and it's shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like at that point, like you just lost the flow and I have to take, and this adds time. I have to take that however, you know, many seconds or minutes. To like, where was I? What was it? Oh, what was the line? I was, and it's the worst feeling ever. Joe, you're exactly, you're exactly right. You have to leave your phone almost literally. I live in a studio, so I don't have that luxury, but almost <laughs> literally in another room <laughs> because it's just, it's like gravitating annoyingly in a sense. Yeah, and they they design it to catch your attention. Like the, the this is literally a machine that is trying to addict you to itself, and it's simultaneously, as you say, the worst thing for creativity, for getting into that flow state. I think Wenzel, you've told me before that there you saw you read something that said that it takes like twenty minutes to get back into it after you've been pulled out. Yeah, so they I think as simple as a text message can throw you. They did a study with like neuroscience where they had brain triggers of the phone vibrating, or even they did try to do ghost vibrations where mm -hmm. you know where you feel like your yeah. phone vibrated, but it actually didn't. And basically, what they noticed is that from a brainwave like neural activity, it still took your brain between fifteen and twenty minutes to come back into focus after the phone had gone off. So. Multitasking, as is seems to be beaten to death at this point, is a lie. You can't multitask. But like, as much as you believe you can, you can't. We're designed to focus intently on one thing. That's interesting. I feel I don't know if you you guys might have noticed this being my friend and stuff, but I've gotten really good at being a terrible texter responder. That's natural, right? <laughs> that's a, that's an inherent quality I have. Right? That wasn't my choice. That was by design. But no, because it just got to the point where I'm like, all right, I almost need to. It, it maybe sounds 
uh, uh, I wouldn't say I'm being an asshole, but to the sense where it's like I have to not care what's going on the phone to be more productive. But now there's an interesting kind of dichotomy, I guess you can call it, going on because um, Alex and I, again, you guys know we moved to this new city. We're getting involved in all these different endeavors, right? She's doing uh, the art, so we're doing art shows and like we're getting into like curating events. I'm doing music as well as the screenwriting. And then as well as trying to have a network of friends and stuff out here. So we're not just, we don't know anyone ever. So it's almost like I have to find that balance of being able to do the Tennessee Williams and isolate myself, Mm. but at the same time, still be engaged with everything else that's going on outside of that. So that both of those things can meet at this point. And it's, I've been struggling for like the last, month or so trying to find that balance because when you live in a city where it doesn't stop like yeah. last night there was so like just driving home for we're at our friends going away party just driving home there's oh look what's over there oh look what's over there like we could have got out and went to like, three different things hmm. just on the way home and they live like a mile away and it's just <laughs> it's crazy trying to find that balance it's i don't know how to perfect that but yeah yeah i i think about my thesis advisor who told me that her Thursdays were like sacred. It was writing days. It's the only thing she did. Thursdays were writing days. So help me God, that's what's going to happen. And it was like, she had to, she had her finger in a bunch of pies. And I can imagine that she felt in a similar way to what you're describing now. And that seemed to work for her. I wonder if that could work for you or if it's just too chaotic and hustle and bustle to manage something like that. I think you're right. I think it is. And that's what that kind of goes back to the phone thing where I think there has to be a point where it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on outside of extenuating circumstances, but it doesn't matter what's going on Monday through Wednesday. This is when I'm writing or working on music, whatever I decide. And I think, and Hey, this is going on. You want to come, you have to say no. And this is, this goes to the book, the war on art. It talks about this thing called resistance. And I loved that metaphor, I guess you can call it, or just how he decided to describe what that feeling is, is where there's a million things pulling you in all these different directions, whatever they are. And it's all of those things are what they represent is just keeping you from doing what you should be doing. Whenever you set your heart on something or your mind on something, and it's not an easy thing, it's like a task that's going to take an extended amount of effort, right? There's everything that's going to get in your way. So for example, I'm going to write today. All of a sudden you get a fucking text. Hey, there's a party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or okay, let's go see this movie or your friend comes in to visit or something like being here. And then you're like, ah, oh, shit. And that's what that is. It's that resistance. And you have to figure out how to traverse that. And that's one thing that I'm trying to work my mind to get around. And I think it's almost being selfishly dedicated to your craft and to yourself at the end of the day. I was going to say you almost, you mentioned earlier that it's like being an asshole, but not quite like being an asshole. And I think that that's right. And to some degree, you have to be like rabidly protective of this particular territory. And I can think of times where I'm working on the book and I live with my girlfriend. So I'll step out to go get more water or something. And she'll be talking to me and I will be like, I will intentionally not listen to a word that she says. I am entirely like indifferent to anything else in the world that's going on. Because if you take from me this thread that I am trying to pull on, I mean, real pissed. (laughs) So this is more important right now than whatever conversation you're trying to have. I I love you, and we'll have this conversation (laughs) later. Right now, 
I'm going to ignore you entirely. <laughs> like I'm back to the work and, and that will come to an end and that's okay. And you need to understand that if you have good relationships in your life, then you could tell people that you're going to do that and they'll understand. Or at least if they don't get it at first, they'll engage in a conversation. You could talk about it, but, but this is, this is a way of maximizing the amount of work that you can manage to be efficient and capable and actually doing the things that you say that you're going to do is that you have to be protective. You have to actually fight for those hours of your, of dedication to your craft because everybody wants it. Everybody wants your attention, your damn phone, the thing that you carry around. There's a drug dealer sitting in your pocket <laughs> who gives you drugs for free, who gives you drugs for free, who follows you around everywhere. <laughs> he wants your attention. I want to make a meme now. Put your phone with a trench coat on. He's like, hey, man, you want to... <laughs> and I got that Instagram, dog. <laughs> it's just a social media app with notifications. It's just the notification bubbles. Hey, man, look what I, I got, got for memes you. memes here, man. <laughs> Dude, it's funny, Joe, you literally read the book by the way you're describing these things because it's the title of the book is War on Art because he believes that the demons inside our head and the demons of external life are trying to waging this war against you on producing his metaphor, his he calls creativity or the thing you're channeling is the muse. The way Pressfield articulates it is that you're, by creating a routine about whatever creative thing you're pursuing, you're just creating a window for which the muse can channel through you as like a gateway. Yeah, because the you that you identify with, that I, the ego, the whatever you want to call it, that conscious self, is not the entirety of who you are. And so there's some portion of you that's inaccessible to your conscious awareness that is coming up with these ideas and pushing them through your conscious awareness onto the page. And so you need to put yourself in a situation in which that chattering ego I shuts the fuck up, gets out of the way, and allows that thing to do its goddamn job. <laughs> literally, literally. And that's why people, I think that's why people smoke or yeah. any type of, even drinking in a sense, I think that can even, you can argue that. But I think that's the reason for it because it lets your ego shut up for a minute. And so it makes sense. So I get why almost every artist, for me, so I don't smoke it's on and off, but when I, as a musician, when I used to tell people I don't smoke, they looked at me like I'm fucking psychotic. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, I just don't. It's not really a reason. I just, I just don't. It just doesn't um, do it for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Nothing against it. I, go, go crazy. Why don't you? It sounds like there's no reason, but, or maybe, what is it? How do you, it, um, what is it that the, these people are using this for that, and why do you think that you don't need to use it for that? Good question. I'll preface by saying, so I recently, um, coming back from Chicago, decided to stop drinking, right? Mm. Um, it's not a permanent, lifelong, like never touch alcohol again. It's just getting to a healthy relationship with it. Mm. So like when I sit down to have a meal, I don't need a drink with it. As much as I love an IPA with a burger, it's not necessary. It's, it's not necessary. It's just mm. taste. So I'm getting to the point where it's, I notice that when I've said, I don't want to do that. If it became, there was like a tug resistance, whatever you want to call it, a tug for me saying, nah, but you should just do it. That, when I notice that's when I say, okay, I need to step away from it because I don't want to start, yeah. I don't want to become enabled by the thing. So that's the reason I stopped drinking. It's not because I believe myself to have an issue with it. Externally, if you believe that or not, that's leave that up yeah. for everyone else's decision. But personally, I don't think it's at that point. It's just something I wanted to do for myself, right? Yeah. So with marijuana, with weed, it was the same thing. 
where it wasn't necessarily I don't want to do it. And there was a pull, but I just being in that industry, especially in the hip hop industry, everyone smokes like obscene amounts and I have nothing against it. I, I get it. And people talk about his benefits and things like that. And we won't get into that, but I get where it comes from. But I was like, I don't want to have to rely to that to channel my creativity in this field. I want to be able to be at any place that I'm at and hear a beat or be coming up with the song. And I don't have, I don't want to have to be like, oh damn, I wish I had something on me that I can get in the right mindset. So that's kind of where it came from. It's just like, I want to be just as good as everyone else who may need that extra thing, but be just as good without it. Hmm. So that's where that initially came from. And really for as long as I've done music, I've never relied on it. Not to say I've never done it. I'm not, again, it's not a, Never touch weed again. I just bought some the other day, but it's it's not bad. But it's just having that healthy relationship with it where it's like, I want to, cool, but I don't need it. I remember talking to our mutual friend of all of ours, but about weed in particular. And I thought that, yeah, I don't have any problem with smoking weed. It's legal here in Michigan and I will on occasion. But I thought that there's the reason that you shouldn't smoke or drink or whatever consistently for some utilitarian purpose was so that if you were in a situation that demanded you behave in a certain way, which you had previously been dependent upon the substance in order to do, but now you couldn't use it, you're in a bad place. So if I'm smoking weed every day, or let's say, let's take the classic artist's predicament. I, I drink in order to write and I keep drinking and I keep drinking and I keep drinking. And then slowly but surely, it becomes a problem. And now the drinking's out of control. And so now the artist has to start or stop drinking altogether in order to, to right to get their life in order. But now they can't because they they had created a system where they were entirely dependent on the alcohol in order to get to the state where they could whereas you could as an alternative learn to be able to get into that state sober so that you don't need to rely on anything external to do so. And that seems to be more secure, a more secure position. It doesn't mean that drinking while writing or whatever is necessarily bad. It's all in proportion, but you should be aware that there is a risk that you could make yourself vulnerable in down the line. I agree. I think um, along similar roads, I'm actually experimenting with less caffeine. I know Joe, your caffeine have a special relationship. And so does Jordan. I did. Uh, I, don't, I barely do any anymore because oh, I really? just wake up. <laughs> yeah, it's basically wake up, pre-workout, hit the gym, get back, do normal work. So my pre-workout basically acts like coffee. I have like no coffee. Anymore. There you go. Even, even working toward my example, because I found myself feeling like I was becoming dependent to it, whereas just I'm a creature of habit. So it's like if I do something around the same time every day, then all of a sudden it's like my body's, yes, we do that every time, all the time at this day. And it was like pre-workout, no matter what day, always would have basically an injection of caffeine. And I'm like, you need to not because you, now you're like searching out reasons to go buy an extra energy drink or something like that. And I've been trying to systematically find ways to at first limit it to avoid crashing because there is some addictive properties with caffeine. And then also just being aware of what I'm doing with it because I don't want to be like, oh, I need to have caffeine to be able to focus to do well anything because I think it's your ability to focus isn't dictated on external uh, substances. It's how much you really wanted or invested in the outcome of the thing, right? So question with that, right? Because with my heart and soul tying in both your guys' last points, 
part of the other reason I wanted to take myself away from drinking is because going to social events, everyone has a beer or whatever white claw in their hand. And I was like, I don't want to need that. Just Joe, like you were saying, I don't want to need that to engage in these environments. I want to be able to just come in as myself, not inebriated in any way, have a good time, go home and it's all good. I'm not like hurting the next morning. Yeah. So I've said, I'm going to supplement that with caffeine. So I'll get like a Red Bull if I need it. If I don't need it, then whatever. But if I'm like tired or I'm like just feeling like slower or something like that, I'll just pop one in and then trying to supplement the two because I feel like where I'm, the outcome I'm looking for, this trumps that. So I guess my question is, do you guys think supplementing a vice to get off it is effective or do you think that's from a health standpoint at least i would say that caffeine is a better sub- substitute though it, i would be careful when the time of which you're using this because it can have sleep disruptive qualities if you're drinking this super late at night i've become a master at being able to nurse alcohol <laughs> for many years so yeah. i typically just use the if you have a can in your hand however full or not full it is most people don't call you out on it and so I can hold a beer for many hours and nobody usually calls me out on it. <laughs> and I just maybe have two by the end of the night. And I'm totally good with that. Whatever your threshold is before you start hurting. Also, the trend of seltzers, I think, is amazing for alternative, less negative health impact because it's mostly water. Yeah. So if you're trying to, this is talking about like the fear of missing out, FOMO a little bit on, on like the creative aspect of like, why be so dedicated to something because you're in quotes playing the long game, because there's so many things that are vying for our attention. So it's like, how do you manage both to be present in your life, but also play the game so that you accomplish the long-term goals that you want to see yourself achieve. So I, I think it's being mindful of how we use certain external substances, which is drugs and alcohol being part of that because these things have double-edged swords attached to them, right? They're both culturally driven, but also provide some sort of positive benefit within the social. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's hard to say. I I don't actually know the psych literature on substituting one thing for another. I I don't know how that works or if people do... Uh, research on that in particular. I, I know that to some degree, the idea of introducing a substance so that you can behave in a normal way is totally acceptable in certain contexts, right? If you have bipolar disorder, we give you uh, medicine for that. And that gets you to simmer down and be as normal as you could manage. I don't mean normal in any kind of derogatory term, but that's totally understandable. Why wouldn't you, right? If there's some physiological imbalance here, why wouldn't we give you medicine to help you find your center? But in some spiritual sense, I'm not sure it's ideal. I'm not saying that, so I'll preface this by saying that I'm not sure that um, the ideal is possible in any individual life, but it's the thing that you shoot at, right? It, it's an aim. It's it's not necessarily a concrete reality, but the ideal I could imagine is that you don't have to substitute anything for anything. It's a total lack of non-dependence. It's a total independence. It's almost like Buddhist like lack of a, attachment. It's that you are and you exist, and even your cravings in some sense are something external to yourself. There are clouds moving over the field of vision, and that's all. And a feeling can move past or over you, but it doesn't have to capture you. 
doesn't have to take you over. Right. And so in those moments where you're suddenly lost in thought and then you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I missed the entire conversation. I was just totally in my own head. Or one moment I was looking out the window of the train as we were moving down the rail. And the next I was pages deep on some Instagram thing when you didn't even realize it until you snapped out of it. So this is capture. This is you being taken over by something that's outside of the you that you (laughs) identify with. It's either some external stimulus taking you on or something internal to yourself, right? It's the, I've seen this in addicts, I knew an opioid addict who, who just something would happen and then off you would go. And the program started running. It's like, here's a really specific script. This stimulus triggers this line, triggers this. And you're just moving all the way to drug. And it it was totally incapable of disrupting this trajectory. Wow. And in the best version, I think, of ourselves, impossible though it may be, there is nothing that can take you like that, that you have a level of awareness, a constant consciousness of what's happening. Mindfulness, to use a kind of commercialized word, awareness of what's happening around you and the things that are happening within you without judgment that it's just, there it is. Yes, I would like a beer right now. Yes, I would like whatever, uh, Red Bull or anything in these are, and, it, and you could even come up with a rationalization. You could hear your thoughts above you saying, oh yeah, it's not a big deal. It's late tonight. I worked really hard. I could have a Red Bull. It's not like Red Bull's alcohol. That's fine. <laughs> Any number of per- actually rational things that make perfect sense and go, okay. And those are just thoughts. They're not who I am. I'm not even captured by my thoughts. They're just, they just are. And I can let all these rationalizations or feelings or impulses or whatever flow over me and not care. And that that's something like the ideal. That makes a lot of sense. And I think just going off the rationalization, I think that is, at least for me, I'll speak for myself here and you guys can answer how you feel but that's one of the when you feel distracted or when you're in a funk that rationalization especially when it's like true not just you're bullshitting yourself because we're all smart people when you're bullshitting yourself you can tell but when you think of something to keep you from doing whatever and you're like i probably should do that (laughs) that's when it's okay but you also should probably finish your script or your book or your chapter (laughs) or your podcast edit that to me is the hard one and you figure out how to do it but it's like battling your your fucking wits or if you want to call it that your rationalization like oh i need to go to the store today i need to go okay but you should be writing today so yeah yeah and yeah it's not it's never a clear answer (laughs) right you can have something like equally valuable or necessary things that you need to do that are each advocating for themselves in your own mind and you're just like Oh shit. <laughs> like, like oh, I'm limited. Oh, boo. <laughs> but, but I think that real danger and it is not that because it's not a denial that you need to do something. I think the danger becomes a well, I don't really need to go to the store, but it's I think the optimal position is you go, I do need to go to the store and I need to get this writing done. 
I am going to get this writing done, except the fact that, thank God, that Walmart is open 24 hours because there's a good chance that I'm not going to get there till midnight. And <laughs> so be it. So be it. Right. It's not the thing that I see constantly with people, which is it's a little frightening how often I do see it, <laughs> but is that someone will want something or someone will not want to do something. And what they start doing immediately is coming up with rational reasons why it's irrelevant. Yep. Not that they should or shouldn't do it or that they recognize that this is good or bad for themselves and that all the like perfectly reasonable things. It's I'm going to try to manipulate my world into looking like the way that I want it to. And that's the danger. And this is why I don't think intelligence is a high virtue because often people who are really intelligent are really good at rationalizing bullshit. <laughs> like, nice job. You made a very good model of something that was a crock of shit. <laughs> like, nice job. Awesome. You've just gotten better at deceiving yourself. Good job. Awesome. Fantastic. How's that going to work out? So it's going to be a nightmare for you. It's going to be a nightmare for everyone around you. And you won't know what you did wrong because you practice lying to yourself every step of the way. And when you finally ask, oh my God, how did it go so badly? The only explanations that'll pop in your head are bullshit. They're bullshit. You've been fucking lying the whole time. And that's the fucking game. That's the game. So the, the real human game is to be able to align the whole system. Peterson thinks that there's three different systems, basic strata of the brain. It's procedural, which means it's action. So that's like riding your bike. You can just sit on your bike and ride it. You don't have to think about it unless you're learning it. So long after you've learned it, you can just get back on the bike and you can just ride it. And you know how to ride a bike so well, you actually can multitask in that sense. Because I can ride a bike and listen to a very complicated podcast and not even notice that I'm riding the bike. But that is a that takes a long time to train to settle in. So procedural, that's pure action. It's procedures, right? There's episodic that's stacked on top of it. That's running simulations. That's episodic memory. That's the fact that you remember stories and narratives and how you acted. Dreams are largely in there, right? Because you're seeing an episode play out. And so it's more abstract than procedural, but it's a narrative visualization of a bunch of procedures. And then on top of that is, he calls it uh, semantic. So it's all language and this rationalization, all this. But if you can align all of these things, then imagine the kind of person you can become. So that your actions mean the same thing as your is the way you think how like the way you think about things will turn out the same way you act. And when you speak, that will be, you will be a man of your word. That's what that means. It means that my speech is actually aligned with the actual actions that I will take. With the procedural section of your neurological system are so in conversation with each other that if one does one thing, the other will follow suit. So stop fucking lying to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if, if only that was so easy. I'm glad you brought up Peterson because one of the books that I actually just finished myself was his newest book, 12 More Rules. I believe it's the Beyond Order is the subtitle. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the chapters that have stuck with me this whole time is don't abdicate responsibility, which is a fancy way of saying just take responsibility for the things that you can manage. And he's not meaning to go and try to save the world and do all the big crazy thing. It's over time, when you treat the things that you care about most with the responsibility that you have the ability to change those things. So for instance, Jordan, since you're doing all these things, it's your responsibility to be the best writer that you can be, right? So you have to work by whatever measure you decided to be. And as you get better and more proficient at being that writer that you want to become, your level of responsibility you get to take just increases organically over time because we are the things we do most often, right? <laughs> so it's anything we do is if you treat it like you really care about it, then eventually you just get better. But it's also, you just got to keep putting the reps in. It's like, I feel like it's one of these things that people don't realize. Like <laughs> athletes, I think, get it because it's like always just repetition or when you go to the gym you don't run a marathon tomorrow if you've never run a mile before. But for some reason, people think that as soon as you want to be a writer or as soon as you want to be a good photographer or whatever, you can just pick up a camera and all of a sudden be amazing at it and people are going to applaud you for taking a picture. It, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> like you have yeah. to put the reps in to be able to be recognized for the thing. And I'm sorry that we you don't get recognized right away, but... Maybe it's going to take 10 years. Maybe it's going to take 40 years. Who knows? I think, and, and I think that there's actually a problem, if I can interject. No, go ahead. I, I think that there's a problem with getting into the creative arts for the purpose of a gain in status. That if the reason that you're trying to create things is to be noticed, I think you're starting off on the wrong foot right off the bat. And that, that I think often explains why there's some portion of failed artists who are super resentful. And they blame everyone but themselves for why they never succeeded. But if you what you cared about was the art in itself, the production, the love of the thing, then the fact that nobody noticed wouldn't matter because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. You're doing it for understanding. You're doing it for expression to the best of your ability. You're doing it to... Even if uh, I, you could even go so far as to, to do it, to push the entire culture forward, you could push the art world forward. That could be your high aim. You could be so talented that would the purpose of your art is to be able to make people think different. Like they've never done it before in the civilization that you're in. And that is a much higher and better aim than doing it to look good. And it's the people, so, yeah. Oh, you go ahead, finish with that. I was going to say, and it's, and it's the people that confuse, that confuse why they're doing this. The art for the status given to them through the art that I think are remarkably destructive in their resentment, but also are tragic figures, become tragic figures. Yeah. I love that you brought that up and where I agree a hundred percent, but I also recognize that a lot of times for artists, whatever motivates you the most, don't reject that. Mm -hmm. So if it is status, fame, whatever, as long as you have a grounded reality of what that is and you can use that to fuel your artistry or your work, fuck it. I don't have to agree. You know what I mean? So say, this is also just to, for context. This is a huge thing that I've had an issue with in 
primarily, <clears throat> excuse me, primarily the rap hip hop field music as a whole, but especially rap and now getting a little more into the screenwriting thing, right? Cause it looks to be so accessible. You have all these artists, young artists coming up seemingly out of nowhere. Like you have these, what do they call them? Overnight success stories. And we have all these TV shows. Like I, I can't even keep up. I'm in the industry and I can't keep up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's impossible but it's just so oversaturated. And even at this level down here, especially at the ground, as you start building up. And I think the reason for that is because people see that and say, Oh, I can, a lot of people are doing that. I can do that too, because I want that. I want that fame, that status. So that brings all these people in because it is an attractive thing. It may be hollow, but it's attractive, right? Like the lights, the money, if you're just as a young guy, the girls, all that stuff, the cars and stuff. It's attractive. You can say it isn't, but at a point, it's like, who doesn't want those things in some way? And I, th I think what it is, it's this idea of delayed gratification versus immediate. And starting out in the art world, people don't realize how delayed art is. It's a fucking process, man. Like any artist seeing Alex, how she started with her art to where it is now, that's years. That's years of her continuously doing it. My writing style, when I read, I went back and read uh, my first pilot the other day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh my God. And, and like, and me being naive, I thought, oh yeah, I know people don't make it off their first one, but I can make it off this. I thought that at the time. Looking back at it now, I'm like, I must have been heavily sedated, drunk, something. <laughs> What's going on for me to think that? Because this is not it. I need to, it's good. It's, I'm not, I'm trashing it. It's good. But there's the holes that I need to work on that I, <laughs> that I can see now. So it's just that thing that you have to figure out, right? That like, this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. These overnight successes take 10 years. It, it did not happen overnight. There's a lot of things we have to and anything like writing a book, Joe, we're before the podcast, we were talking about the whole publishing side of it. Like the first day you go sit down to write something, you, you can't even process that because you're still figuring out how to construct words to a page and make organize your thoughts and stuff. So it's just, I don't know. It's such a convoluted mess yeah. of things that people take for granted, I think. Yeah. And there's, I think that, and just to clarify, I'm, I'm not sure I actually have a problem with status seeking in and of itself. And you're, which is part of the point that you were making there, which is that if that's the thing that can get you going, if that's the thing that you can remind, that's your, like the totem that you hold in your hand every time you sit down to do some work and that actually gets you to do the work, then to some degree, that's really good, right? Use it as a motivating factor. I think that something like that though, the risk becomes when you confuse where it should be in the hierarchy of your goals. You should have your status behind you, pushing you forward, but it shouldn't be the end in and of itself. That, that's where things get dangerous. And, and I don't know if this is actually the case, but I want to give some kind of concrete example. But Conor McGregor looks like this to me. I don't know if it was status exactly, but it was something like money for him, where the moment that he made all that goddamn money fighting Floyd Mayweather and making the whiskey. It was after that, he just kind of, yeah. and I don't think he was hungry anymore because he was hungry, not for the fighting. That was the skill set that he had to get to the money that he really wanted. And so once he had the money, it was, 
whatever. Why be motivated? You've already achieved what you want. But and that's fine. I don't have a problem with Conor McGregor using fighting to make a bunch of money. Go make a bunch of money. Good. Fine. But you should go into this recognizing why you're doing what you're doing and for what reason so that you don't end up in a position way down the line asking yourself, how the hell did I get here? What went wrong? Know that your ultimate aim is what's going to drag you in a specific direction. So I have no problem with a screenwriter saying, listen, I want to, I want an awesome career. I want to make money. I like the status. And I've got a good screenwriting talent, and I'm going to use that. And if you want to use that to make that money and do all those things, awesome, fine. But I would say that is a qualitatively different thing than pursuing the art for itself. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that describes what I meant by like staying grounded. I think. And maybe I might be wrong, but I think Conor McGregor might be someone who might have lost his footing at some point or another. Was that um, a pun after his injury? Oh, oh my well, God. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out. Oh my Lord. <laughs> hey, but uh, now he's got, an indes- sometimes, he's got an indestructible leg now, though. He's coming back. He's going to fight MGK next year. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus, man, that was, I'm like, dude, you're still, like, crippled right now, relax. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Leg is not healed. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I think that example, I think that example showcases a lot, in in a lot of ways, for so many people, because I think what Jordan said earlier, too, just about, like, short-term gratification, which I think, or short-term versus long-term gratification, I think that's, like, what all of this is circles around, because... We started with the phone and I think we'll go back to it because the pace of modern communication and basically just new shiny thing is insane. Every week there's something new going on. There's a new movie, there's a new album, there's a new whatever. Whatever thing you're interested in, there's guarantee you there's a new thing for you to go pay attention to every week. And so it really doesn't leave a whole lot of time for you to put something in the oven, so to speak, to and just let it do its thing because you're always going to feel in quotes behind because you're never, unless you have a whole bunch of money with a team behind you, you can never keep up with that pace. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And it's a hard thing. Like even for me, like just where we're at in our lives, we're late twenties, which is fucking, as this weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Still not over it. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's weird, but it is what it is, but that's where we are in our life. So there's a lot of moving parts at this stage of life. It's just undeniable fact. It, it's just, but it's important. It's important to know that. And that's the thing. So for creatives and for artists, I think this stage of life is, I don't want to say hell, but it feels like it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because unless you've made it already, which is why I stress the fact that when I get to the point where I have kids, start young because you'll thank yourself later. Like you will, because when you don't have to worry about all this other stuff, which everyone, every stage of life has its worries. But when you can kind of ship that, a lot of your issues off to your parents. And I don't think when we're young, you don't realize how much of that you do. But that's the time that's do this stuff now because later when you're 28 or 29 and you're trying to get a house and make sure you're set for the future when you want to retire and all this stuff like Mm -hmm. that does. And now you're trying to start a family and stuff like that does weigh on you. 
then it, it does not make the art any easier. It doesn't. And that's where I think you get a lot of people who this is where the, I call it the fizzle out time is mm-hmm. where people say it's too delayed. Like I'm like, you start, you grow up and you realize that instant gratification that you were striving for isn't the reality. And it's so far away, but damn, I'm almost 30. Can I give this another 10 years? And that's the thing. It's like, if you're doing it for the art and for the love of it, I think the answer is yes, you will, because it's not for the status or the money It's because you love whatever that is you're doing. Yeah. It's, it's more sustainable Yeah, or more sustaining. It sustains you more because if what you're looking for is the status, especially while you're young, like all these young star types, then the moment that you're not getting it and suddenly you're approaching 30, 35, 40, it's going to be really hard to keep the faith in that moment. But if what you're doing it for is for the sake of the art, that's not inexorably tied to your age or when it'll get noticed or these things. How many artists weren't noticed until after they died? Yeah. and But they can be culturally significant. Like they can move the culture in a direction that, as a whole, it's more than moving mountains. It's entire nations of people. And it happens, it finally happens after they're no longer alive to see it. But it happens in part, I think, because they cared so much about the art. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who's that? Was that Van Gogh? Who didn't sell? Yeah, he didn't sell, didn't nothing. sell a painting. Poor, miserable, depressed. Yeah. yeah, not looking on. Same thing with uh, Nikola Tesla, the guy who basically created mm-hmm. our entire energy infrastructure. He wound up basically dying broke and crazy because he didn't know how to sell his product well enough. <laughs> and this is a point Camille Paglia said this, and I thought this was brilliant, which was, and it's so simple, but it's that the only thing that actually survives after the civilization is its art that what we have from the Greeks, their marble artworks and their monuments and these things. That's what we have. That's what we have from Egypt. That's what we have from Mesopotamia. We don't even have, well, we have some, we have the new militia from Mesopotamia, but that's the only written thing, but it's literally written in stone. <laughs> the only thing that survives the civilization is the art. So I think that the artists that exist now need to be writing not for their 40s, not for their 60s, not for their kids' generation, but for a thousand years from now. What would your art look like if it was art that was made to last a thousand years? And that's the level of civilizational perspective that we need to adopt like right now. So one side of that, I think that is for me, that's beautiful to think of it that way because you're like putting in perspective that this is something bigger than yourself when nobody knows or in a sense cares who you are, but like your art remains thinking of like Shakespeare. I don't know what the guy looks like. You know what I mean? Like say he existed. He say he popped up and walked right in front of me. I might be like, that's a weird fucking outfit. But like outside of that, <laughs> I, would have, I would have no idea who that guy is. You know what I mean? But he's a method actor. He's real good at what he does. Yeah, crazy dude pretending to be some old guy. <laughs> but like, you know, but his who doesn't know Shakespeare? Who doesn't? Even if you don't care, yeah. who doesn't know the name? So it's it's a beautiful thing, and I feel like that alone 
I guess I can't say it should, but I'm surprised that alone doesn't inspire more people. On top of that, I think what you're speaking to where how you're, like the urgency, Joe, that you're placing at the end, I think that is this idea that it's, it's not, it's, I just want to get paid. You know what I mean? And that's where you get pop music or things of that nature. It's not necessarily, I'm not bashing it because I appreciate it for what it is, but in the sense that it's, you're not redo, you're not doing anything new. You're following a pattern and you're just regurgitating that because it's been proven to work. And I think that'll hold its place in and of itself, but it'll be lumped together like this was that. Like yeah. throw all these artists that together. That was the nineties the... or that was the eighties or whatever. What by the decades yeah. or by the fifty years, however you call it. And like maybe the high points will stand out like Michael Jackson, I'm sure he's always mm-hmm. the dude is crazy. The uh, Beatles weren't necessarily pop, but you know like the the top artists of their time in that genre will remain all the other ones might just get blended together and be like that's what that was indicative of that time but it's interesting because i feel like more people realize that's how you put it that it's like when everyone that you could potentially wrap your head around is gone whatever you created will still be here i don't know i just think that's poetic in a way it's like really sick (laughs) and it's it is so literally true there are there are that statue of Aphrodite with one arm missing. Yeah. And she's like the kind of towel or drape around her waist and this. Everybody knows that statue. Everyone knows what that is. Can you tell me who made it? I have no idea. Some but it doesn't sculptor matter. Sculptor lost to time. Because the art can outlive, <laughs> can outlive any civilizational memory. And that's yeah. remarkable. <laughs> it, it, it's as if it is etching your spirit in stone in marble to last forever and it's like why are we making anything cheap could you imagine if just on a blip what every artist just in a moment just snap your fingers and suddenly they all have this perspective could you imagine what we would have in an instant what the architecture would look like could you imagine what I was listening to chaos by James Gleck, I think is his last name. It's about chaos theory. And there's a portion of the book that's about Mandelbrot sets, which are, you can f- Google these, but they're these really complex images. Whereas you zoom in, it gets more complex. It just continues to be complex. The more and more you zoom in and they're a representation of nature that there's a certain part of nature that exists outside of our understanding is entirely nonlinear and is so damn complex we can't make any sense of it whatsoever but it's it has beautiful these patterns and and colors and all these things that continuously emerge and come in and the mandelbrot i think in this chapter they mentioned how the old cathedrals have this texture have this way of being that if i look at a building from in Chicago or New York or whatever. That's just a block with steel windows. It's geometric. It's a simple structure and I move up to it and I basically have the same idea. But like these old, massive old cathedrals and everything, you stand at a distance and it gives you a beautiful image as it is there. But as you continue to move forward and change the frame you zoom in on even more detail and more detail. And so like the Mandelbrot set, you are being constantly washed with these waves 
of beauty that they have put into deliberately the architecture. And that's the kind of thousand year perspective I'm asking for. <laughs> that, that you could recognize it's that you the that the thousand year artwork is the kind of artwork that in a thousand years of staring at it, you haven't exhausted it. You haven't grown tired of the thing that you're looking at anymore because there's always something new to find. There's always something fantastic and remarkable that it means to you as an individual and that it meant to the people who created it. Can you, dude, this is all, I don't know. I, this is, my brain is going a million miles an hour right now because it's just so refreshing to hear these things because I'm sure if you pay attention to the news, it's just negative bomb after negative bomb. And it just, to me, it's like if we even took a hundred year viewpoint, on top 10 to 100 problems that society faced right now, being climate change or any of the big problems we face. Imagine what we could accomplish if you took the brightest people and said, here you go, here's the big problem. You got 100 years to solve it, go for it. Like it's just this level of, of why not go after the biggest thing and not worry about how long it's going to take to solve it. There's a really great story that I heard from a poet named David White. Who, oh, I love him, dude. His voice is he, amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's been on uh, Sam Harris a couple of times. But he told a story about a mason way back in the day, like medieval eras. So they're, these are rough people. They are living in a quarry and they have pickaxes and they are knocking blocks of marble or stone out of the earth day in and day out for their entire lives. And one day, one of these one of these uh, quarrymen or whatever you would call them, he throws down his pickaxe and he says, I'm done. I'm done. This is exhausting. Why would I ever do, why would I do this for the rest of my life? And he left. He just left. And a year later, he returns to the quarry. He pick, grabs a pickaxe and he starts working without a word. And one of his old friends comes up to him and says, what are you doing back here? I thought you were done. And he says, I saw the cathedral we were building. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's dope. <laughs> oh, That's it. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that part of the reason people now feel lost and wonder why they bother doing anything isn't because there isn't things to do. It's because we've forgotten what we've never seen the cathedral. We never conceptualized the cathedral. So let's do it. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> this will be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, I think you're 100%. Let's just keep that vision, keep that end goal in mind. You know what I mean? Why did you start this? That's one thing that I never actually, oh, you might be surprised, but someone who said this in an interview and that stuck with me since I heard it, it was actually Drake. He did an interview and he was saying that feeling you get, he was talking about when artists first hit that first line of success, whatever that means to you. He was like, never forget that because you're, you'll never get it again. You're always going to chase it and you'll never attain it because it's the first time you can't get it back. And I was like, that in a way it's profound because it's, you have this vision, whatever that is, and you're working towards it. And you finally, whatever success means in that world, 
that level of su- success is when you hit that live in that moment it's because you're going to look back 10 20 years and be like damn i wish i appreciated working that pickaxe on this cathedral a little more yeah i don't know art is a beautiful thing but I hate to say this, but I'm really enjoying this conversation, but I have to go. I, f- um, I figured I, I figured because yeah. we we're just hitting about an hour, we can wrap this yeah. up because yeah. this is awesome. I think this is, <laughs> we need to do this more often.